you've seen the headlines. Bonds are making a comeback. But if you've ever tried to invest in bonds, you know what a clunky, complicated, broken experience it can be. That's why at Public, they took fixed income and fixed it. Now you can find, evaluate, and buy thousands of bonds with an investing experience designed this century. Add fixed income to your portfolio with corporate, treasury, and municipal bonds. Go to public.com forward slash bonds podcast to get started. This podcast is sponsored by Public. Full disclosures can be found at public.com forward slash bonds. Chat with Traders is sponsored by Trade the Pool. Are concerns about limited buying power, insufficient capital, or fear of losing your own money preventing you from advancing your trading capabilities? Trade the Pool is an online stock trading prop firm that offers funding for stock traders. Demonstrate your skills, trade their capital, and keep your profits. You can engage in intraday trading and now swing trading on Trade the Pool with any U.S. stock or ETF. The procedure is straightforward. Pay an evaluation fee, successfully complete the evaluation, and get funded. Visit tradethepool.com forward slash chat to learn more. The biggest secret of the best traders in the world is that they're just like everyone else. However, they've worked hard to learn the markets and discover what works and what doesn't. But how can you hear about these journeys and get in on the strategies and tactics they use? You can do it by listening to Chat with Traders. Here's your host, Aaron Fifield. Hey, what's up, guys? Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Chat with Traders. This time, it is episode number 10. Can you believe we're up to episode number 10 already? These these weeks are just flying by. Um, it's nuts, but... Let's let's talk about today's guest. So today's guest is Tim Gratani, and many of you may know him also by Croy Runner eighty nine. That's his Twitter handle that he goes by. And uh, this guy is a very very talented intraday trader. He originally started with roughly a three thousand dollar account, and over the years um, he's transformed that into well over two million dollars and getting close to that $3 million mark um, in just a few years. So he originally sort of kicked things off in 2012 when he first ventured into the jungle of penny stocks. After catching on to how these markets operated and really got an understanding of the manipulation that goes on, he was able to master a few setups that um, he could identify very well. And obviously they paid him quite generously over and over again but eventually he hit a few limitations and now he's predominantly a short seller of nasdaq stocks which makes for a very interesting segment during this interview what's also interesting is the five key factors that tim contributes to the majority of his success to date and he really breaks down each one of those um, throughout this interview so definitely some great insights you'll pick up from there um You'll also hear about the events that led up to his gigantic single trade loss of $290,000 during October last year. This will definitely give you a great appreciation of just how bad things can get when you go against your trading rules. Because as you'll hear, when the ongoing problem surfaced, it got ugly very, very quickly. 
And just before we roll into this week's interview, I'd like to remind you guys that the Lucci Method giveaway is still rolling on. So we'll actually be wrapping that up this Sunday. So that is the 8th of March at 7pm EST. And if you have missed it, what that does include is uh, it's a it's a product offered by Sang Lucci. Um, so these guys are selling this product at the moment for $2,699. That's actually what it retails for, no made-up value. Um, and what that includes is an extensive online course taught by Lucci himself, which has over 75 training modules. Um, you also get access to the Sang Lucci chat room, which is a great community uh, plenty of traders of all different levels. You'll also get access to the weekend sessions. Now, the weekend sessions are really cool. They're actually like a, a webinar that goes for about two hours every weekend. And Lucci's actually running through his trades and um, any interesting tape movement that he's spotted during the week and really sort of runs through all of that with you. And it's also a good opportunity where you can hit them up with any questions you might have about your own trading. Uh, included in that is also a one-on-one session with Zach Hurwitz. And this guy is just crazy when it comes to VWAP. I think I might have mentioned that before, actually. Um, so you'll get a one-on-one coaching session with him for about an hour. And i am actually got him on the show next week. So look forward to that one, guys. Um Also, you'll get access to a truckload of videos, like hours and hours of footage that the guys at St. Lucci have put together. So, so much packed into this this giveaway. So, make sure you enter. Just head over to chatwithtraders.com forward slash giveaway, and it's all pretty self-explanatory. All right, guys, let's roll into this week's interview, and I hope you enjoy it. Tim, how's it going, man? Good, how are you? Good, good. How's trading been going for you in the first few weeks, of 2015? Uh, it's been pretty good for the most part. Um, I I had a really hot start to last week, and then kind of just fell into some dumb mistakes in emotional trading at the end of it, and gave it back. But uh, solid start to this week. I'm building it back, so that's good. Nice, nice. Good to hear, man. So um, let's just jump right into it, eh? So um, yeah, what's sure. what sparked your interest in the stock market back in 2011 when you sort of first got started? Um, I guess it was that I was a finance major and I had gotten most of the way through my major at Marquette and I was already going a semester long in school because I had transferred schools midway through and kind of got most of the way through the major and figured out I didn't like a whole lot about finance or there wasn't a whole lot I felt like I could do with it that would be interesting to me. So what I did was I kind of stopped and thought about it and was like, well, if I'm going to stick with this major, uh, which, you know, was the goal. Uh, one thing, like the one area that interests me the most is the stock market. And I think I was kind of drawn to that just because it was the idea of, you know, take money and turn it into more money. Um, I'd kind of been into like the whole poker scene and, um, you know, betting sports a little bit and stuff like that before. So it was kind of like along the lines with some of the, like the more risk adverse stuff I had enjoyed beforehand. Um, but this was just, you know, a bit more legitimate. And so, yeah, I, uh, I got into studying stocks because I just kind of figured, okay, if I'm going to come out of school and be looking for interviews for some kind of trading job, I should you know, I should try to at least have some idea of what I'm talking about and maybe have a little experience on my own. Okay, sure. So just before we move on there, how would you go with um, with your poker experience? Did you have much luck there? Um, I think it you know, was one of those things where there was some beginner's luck. Um, I'd been playing since I was in high school, really, and... Um, 
yeah, I, I guess first couple of summers I did pretty well, and then after that, really not that much success. And you know, I never made any kind of serious money off of it. But I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the game greatly. I really did have fun with it. <laughs> so you still play in your spare time, right? Oh yeah, yeah, I still play here and there. Um, mostly just like free poker at bars or stuff like that now, though. Yeah, nice. So I sort of take it that um, what you're learning in your degree didn't really sort of teach you how to trade the markets. Um, no, it really didn't. Yeah. So, so what were the first sort of steps that you took once you decided that the stock market was sort of something you wanted to uh, look into a bit more? Uh, well, I guess the first thing I did was I just I wanted to open a trading account and just trade on my own a little bit and just sort of see what I could pick up along the way. And so I, I think I funded some broker called ShareBuilder or something like that. It was just some small broker that really wasn't all that great for anything in particular. Um, I think it was probably just the first one I found. And I, you know, I just was really randomly trading and that was about it. I had taken part in this class activity back in high school that I remembered where it was everybody in this economics class, I think it was, uh, basically had a virtual trading account and there was a semester long competition for whoever had the most in their account at the end of the semester would win. And so, I, I mean, I don't remember doing all that well on that, but it was just something that I had kind of found fun and interesting along the way. And back then I was just kind of randomly buying and selling. So I think I just kind of wanted to go in with the same strategy where it was just, you know, practice executing trades, uh, see if I can make a little money. And it really was just kind of the, na- the naive idea that, oh, I can just buy this, you know, 30 cent stock and within a couple of weeks, I'll try to sell it for a 10% gain or a 20% gain. And it's just that easy. And a couple, within a couple of weeks, I had lost half my account and had to, uh, you know, kind of take a step back and stop trading and reassess what I was doing. Okay, sure. Yeah. Um, it's funny you mentioned that actually. I interviewed, um, Matthew, Matthew Owens, uh, Triforce Trader. And um, he had a similar story um, about trading in, in high school um, in a class he had there and um, told me he, he won the competition by just loading up on um, shares in Apple and um, yeah, came out came out on top at the end of the semester. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, um, I've, I've heard you say that the first six months were, were quite a struggle for you. So, what were some of the things that you, you really sort of struggled with during that time? Um, well, I guess the first six months I actually traded, um, I was, I was a member with Timothy Sykes. I was on his penny stacking silver package and I, I had spent a few months watching video lessons and paper trading a little bit and trying to get comfortable. But then once I dove in and actually started trading for real, um, it was, it was a combination of factors. One being that, uh, there was so much emotion for me, at least those first few months tied into entering a trade and just the, you know, the fear of having money on the line. And it was, it was really different to experience it like that compared to when I had just been paper trading, because when you're paper trading, it's the easiest thing in the world. But when you're, when your mind is clouded by those emotions of having money on the line, you're not thinking as rationally, you're not making smart decisions. And so I, I had a lot of trouble with that. And then also I was, I was trying just to blindly follow trade alerts, uh, at the same time. I, I was trading my own ideas a little bit, but anytime I saw a trade alert by a guru that I was following, I wanted to jump in and try to do the exact same trade as them because, you know, again, by my kind of naive thinking, it was, oh, well, they're a guru. They know what they're doing. So 
um, I should just follow them and I'll make money too. And it really wasn't practical because I just couldn't match entries and exits. Yeah. So, what would you say to someone who is following, say, a guru's, um, a so-called guru's um, sort of alerts? How should they be trading them instead of trying to follow them into each trade? I mean, what I would recommend doing is just learn, learn the reasoning behind the trade. I, I don't think, I mean, other than maybe trying, if the guru has a big following and you know that their alert can move the market, maybe you can try to scalp along based off of that. But that's about all I would do with it. Um, otherwise, you, I mean, the whole idea for me and kind of what helps turn me around a little bit was starting to focus more on the why behind the trade and uh, the thought process. And then I could learn to do it on my own with other setups. Mm. Yeah, no, I think that's that's really important, uh, that last bit you said there. Um, so you also mentioned there the, the emotion side of it. Um, you sort of struggled with a little bit. So what sort of things did you do to overcome your emotions or at least sort of keep a cap on them? Um, well, one of the first things I did that I noticed made a big difference and it it probably took me about four or five months to do this. And that was around when I started to turn things around. Um, I hid my unrealized profit loss column on my brokers because I, I kind of realized that I'd be sitting there in a trade and I'd see, Oh, I'm up a hundred bucks or oh, I'm down a hundred bucks. And just having that number staring me in the face, that would, that would kind of feed the emotional side of it a bit. And I'd get either scared of losing a profit or scared that, you know, my loss is going to get worse or whatever, but I'd start thinking about the money instead of the trade and about the setup. And really, I'd lose sight of why I was in the trade in the first place. And I, I would really just close trades out randomly based off of the money rather than off of you know what I thought was going to happen based off of the chart. And so once I once I hid that, it was. I mean, I still I still kind of knew in the back of my mind how the trade was going and if I was up or down and a general idea of how much. But just to not see it in front of me constantly made a huge difference and i noticed that, that really got the emotional side of it down for me okay so by hiding that sort of the the p l column you could just sort of really focus in on the um on the price action and sort of stick to your plan a little mm-hmm. bit more right right yeah cool so you've obviously full uh day trade full time now so at, at what sort of stage did you feel confident that you know that was that was going to be it and you were going to trade full time I'd say it was about six months into trading, uh, right around that time where I, I, I had, you know, six months of struggles. I had dug myself into about a $1,300 hole in my accounts. I was, and I mean, you know, that was a lot of money for me at the time, but it wasn't an insurmountable amount by any means. I, I had worked a summer job and made three times that. So it, it wasn't like it was an unrecoverable sum. So I, it took me a couple months to dig out of that hole. And then in November of 2011, I got back to the break-even mark and then hit my first big trade, which was buying a promotion early and selling it 10 minutes later into a huge spike and made about $2,000 on that. And once I got past that break-even point and, you know, I'd seen a couple of consistent months of results and I felt really comfortable that I knew what I was doing finally, uh, that was kind of my moment where I said, you know, I'm graduating in a month, but I don't, I don't want to get a job right out of college. I want to give this more time. I want to keep trading full time and really see if I can turn this into something. Yeah. Awesome. So that six months period, I mean, that's really not very long at all. So how do you think you were able to 
sort of pick it up so quickly? Um, well, I think that three months of preparation time uh, before I started trading was very helpful to me. Um, I mean, I still made a lot of mistakes during that six months that I started trading, but I think that I made far fewer because I did have a little bit of, um, you know, a background in it at that point, I guess. Like, I, I wasn't just diving in blind on day one. Um, I had had a little preparation time to learn some of the ins and outs. Um, but really, I, I kind of just remember along the way, especially, you know, I feel like there was like a solid month in there where every single day I just felt like I was learning something new or making a new mistake or uh, just like figuring out something I could improve upon. And it really was just that I was very, I was very self-reflective about what I was doing and trying to take away from every single day any improvements that I could. Okay. So were you maybe like writing these down, recording them? I know you've got a blog now, but were you sort of um, writing about it or journaling this in any way when you were sort of starting up? Um, the only journal I really kept was, uh, like, I, I guess one of the big turning points for me was I decided I wanted to focus in on just a couple of setups because early on I had traded a lot of different setups and was having very mixed results. So I chose to focus in on what I was good at, which was over-the-counter stocks, the pump and dumps, and it was buying promotions early, and then it was buying multi-week breakouts or 52-week breakouts or something like that on the daily chart, like big-time daily chart breaks. And so I, I wouldn't so much journal like my emotions and stuff like that or just like little lessons, but I did start tracking those setups and uh, putting them into a spreadsheet and just sort of keeping tabs on how they performed and what typical returns look like and just you know having some idea of past performance so that when the next one came along, I could try to like put my plan together a little bit better. Okay, cool. So, so let's dive into that a little bit more and just talk a little bit more about your actual trading style. So okay. I know these days um, you're right into your NASDAQ listed um, equities, but um, I'm really keen to get into that also. But before we do, I mean, you obviously started out playing penny stocks in the OTC markets. So what was it that really attracted you to these particular types of stocks? Well, it was partially, you know, after I'd had a lot of experience and I'd tried trading, you know, the listed stocks that are earnings winners and, and I, I trade pretty much everything. And I would get really frustrated with some of the listed stocks because I'd be, I'd be trading a setup that looks great. I'd be buying a stock breaking to the new high a day. And then something like the overall markets would dip and the breakout on my stock would fail because the overall markets dragged it down. Or there were just there were just so many more factors that seemed like would influence those more expensive stocks, and it really was frustrating to me. So, in in watching the OTC stocks, they kind of traded in a world of their own, and they didn't tend to follow the overall market, uh, at least from what I could tell. It was it was just more about who was promoting it, how effective the promoter is, and uh, really it was just purely based off of technical analysis because these were companies that had no fundamentals whatsoever. And everybody knew that eventually they're going to zero. But the question is, you know, the people who are manipulating it and controlling it, um, how far are they going to let it run first? And so the only, the only way to really play off of that and figure out what people, like what their intentions might be was just to try to anticipate the chart patterns and learn 
you know, which patterns repeated themselves. Okay. So, you mentioned in there about promoters. Can you just give us sort of a brief rundown on how these sort of promoters um, work? Yeah, absolutely. So, I guess the best way to put it is, especially with some of these big-time promoters, the guys who were really running some huge plays back then, uh, what they would do is basically they would create a company from scratch. And all of the free trading shares for this company would be insider-owned. So they could control at what pace they sold their shares and you know whether they're going to drive the pick into the ground or if they're going to support it and keep the stock moving up. But basically, they, they, were, they were taking these stocks that were very easy to manipulate. They had millions and millions of dollars. So they were completely in control of the action. So it was really more of a game of trying to follow what is the big money doing. And so they, they would come out with a new pick. Um, and you know, send out an email blast to all their subscribers. They would have these email newsletters with thousands and thousands of subscribers and say, our new pick is XYZ or whatever. And then usually what you would see is a really big, strong spike on day one of the promotion, most of the time ending the day up 50% or more. And then after that, it was just a question of whether they were going to turn it into a multi-week promotion or not. And that really, again, was just, you could predict that based off of the chart patterns and how they were controlling it. Okay, so once you sort of saw these things, could you give us a bit of an overview on how you might have traded that? Or if you weren't trading that, what you were looking for, like what setups you were watching for when you were trading these OTC stocks? Yeah, okay. So, um, I mean, the two big ones for me early that kind of turned me around, like I said, new promotion releases. And the idea behind that was uh, as these promoters, with every successful pick they put out, more and more people became aware of them. And more and more people wanted to play the next one because the idea was, oh, wow, the last one went up a thousand percent. Well, this next one should be great, too. So I really tried hard early on to make sure I was one of the first people to get an email. So that, that came down to knowing all of the connected promoter websites, uh, signing up to multiple email addresses. And basically, as soon as they sent out an email and said, you know, this is our new pick, I was buying. And I was trying to get in as quickly as I could and to beat that rush in of people who wanted to get in. And I mentioned earlier, my first big win was a stock that uh, spiked huge in about 10 minutes. I think that was a 70% win in about a 10-minute window um, because I was one of the first people to get fills because I just I got my email set up in an efficient enough way that I was getting the emails quickly. So anytime a new promotion got released by one of these guys who had a you know a good reputation, I guess as you could put it, I was trying to get in quick. And then beyond that, um, it would just sort of be a, a matter of letting the chart develop. So after you know after a few updates or you know after maybe a week or two of promotion, I'd look and I'd see okay what is the high that the promotion has reached so far since this stock started getting pumped, and if that high started, if it started to break past that high and reach new all-time promotion highs, um, that was that was a breakout on the daily chart, and that was another setup that I really liked, and I, I would buy it as the stock was breaking those new highs, in anticipation of it having another up day or two or three, and uh, really running and squeezing. Okay, so you talked about um, getting an early there. Um, pretty much like as soon as you got the email, were you just diving right in or were you sort of waiting for a confirmation 
that something was um, going to come out of this. No, I really would just dive right in because the email was the confirmation. Um, okay. Because once once I get that email, I mean, everybody else who signed up to that email list is going to get it as well. And because these guys, I mean, that's why promoter history was really important to me. I wouldn't do that with just any random promoter. It was the fact, though, that these guys had put out, you know, a few good promotions in a row. And all of these, it really was just a very predictable spike where you'd get 10, 15, 20 minutes of just straight up spiking action because everybody's trying to get a fill and trying to get in early because they think this is the next big promotion. Okay, and how legitimate are these promotions? Like, is is what they're doing there? Is that is this sort of a legal operation they're running there? Um, that that's kind of tricky to answer. I, <laughs> I mean, I'd say because there's there's a lot of very fine lines that they tell. Um, I mean, technically, promoting is not illegal. I think what's illegal is if you're promoting a stock and you're selling shares without disclosing that you have those shares to sell. Or uh, it's, it's a very fine line, and I'm not really clear on the distinction. But, um, but basically, as far as legitimacy goes, these were all worthless companies. And I think pretty much every single one I've ever traded is probably at sub-penny levels now, or very close to zero. Um, so, I mean, these, these were just, you know, some... I mean, if this was, you know, just promoter trying to dupe people and trying to take their money, and that really is all it was. Yeah, okay. You've seen the headlines. Bonds are making a comeback. But if you've ever tried to invest in bonds, you know what a clunky, complicated, broken experience it can be. That's why at Public, they took fixed income and fixed it. Now you can find, evaluate, and buy thousands of bonds with an investing experience designed this century. They started at the beginning, reimagining the bond screener with an intuitive design that helps you zero in on the exact kinds of bonds you're looking for. Then they made it easier to evaluate each investment opportunity with better data in the places you need it most. Finally, they made investing in bonds as straightforward as stocks or any other asset. Add fixed income to your portfolio with corporate, treasury, and municipal bonds. Go to public.com forward slash bonds podcast to get started. This podcast is sponsored by Public. Full disclosures can be found at public.com forward slash bonds. Are you a developing or seasoned day trader who trades the U.S. markets? Is the only thing stopping you from getting to the next level is having enough capital to trade? Trade the Pool is a unique online stock trading prop firm that funds stock traders worldwide. Not having to risk your own capital can help you focus on other things like making better decisions on your trades. There's no PDT rules to worry about. You got more than 12,000 stocks and ETFs to trade, long or short, and professional tools at your side. How you get funded is you show them your skills through a straightforward evaluation process. Once you pass the evaluation, you get funded and trade with their pool of money and split the profits. Don't let the lack of buying power, capital, or fear of losing your own money prevent you from taking your trading to the next level. Visit tradethepool.com slash chat to learn more. Um, so last year, you sort of started leaning towards the NASDAQ listed stocks. Um, I mean, it was clear that you're already having uh, great success and making really good money trading penny stocks. So what influenced the change there? Um, well. 
a couple things. One is that NASDAQs are a bit more scalable. Um, with the OTC market, one thing I learned along the way is that volume and liquidity is very, very important to being able to enter and exit trades. And so, I mean, a lot of these, a lot of these patterns, even though they repeat and even though they're predictable, um, there's just simply not enough volume traded in them to be able to take very large position sizes. Um, with NASDAQs, the volume and liquidity is much, much higher. So I, I think there's more opportunity there in that sense. And I was kind of interested in it for a while because of that. But I was kind of forced over there a little bit sooner than I had planned on. And that was because uh, first the SEC started to crack down on some of these promotions in the OTC market. And you started to see some of these plays get halted. And when an OTC promotion would get halted, it would reopen two weeks later. And most of the time, it would be down 50% or more from the price it was halted at. Uh, so that scared a lot of people away from the OTC market because nobody wants to you know, play these stocks that get halted at any minute. And that really dried up the volume and liquidity over there. A lot of the major promoters that I had been playing for those first couple of years, um, you know, I mean, either the people who are running them got arrested or the sites got shut down. Uh, but basically, most of the major promoters went away. And so the OTC market, aside from a lot of the crappy marijuana stocks running uh, the first three months of 2014 uh, really has not had much activity in the past year. Okay. So when you did start trading these NASDAQ stocks, did you bring the same approach with you or did you have to make a few changes to adapt? It was, it was a similar idea. I, I was trading uh, at that point. I was mostly a short seller. Um, I'd gotten away from buying some of these promotions a little bit um, and more towards short selling them once they had really spiked a lot and seemed like they were overextended to me. So I took that same sort of approach over to these NASDAQ stocks because I felt like I would see it a lot on those as well, where you, you'd have you know maybe some good news hit a stock or good earnings or something like that. And for a few days, the stock would just go vertical. It would, you know, maybe go from $2 to $5 or something like that. And then it wouldn't collapse as fast as an OTC promotion would. But a lot of times you would just sort of, if you look back on some of the old ones or the old spikes, you would see that over the course of the next month or two, it just slowly faded back to where it had come from. So it was pretty much the exact same pump and dump pattern as I had seen on OTC stocks. So that led me to believe, you know, okay, it's happening to a degree uh, with some of these listed stocks as well. Um, but I, I did have to adjust how I traded a bit. I had to start looking for a smaller profit window because, again, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't hold short for a month or two. It was, you know, I, I would try to trade a couple days when the stock was the most volatile and the most liquid and then just move on to the next one. Okay, so one of the big changes would be that you were sort of holding for slightly longer. Even though it wasn't a month, you, you might sort of hold it overnight. Um, sometimes I would go overnight with these... Um, Although usually if I did, it was because I'd gotten stubborn uh, with a bad entry. <laughs> but um, no, I, I think it was just more that, um, you know, I, I would, you know, if I, if I shorted an OTC that went from $2 to $5, I would expect, you know, a 50% gain in probably a day or two. Uh, with these listed stocks, I, I wouldn't have that wide of a profit window because like I mentioned, they, they came down a lot slower, I noticed. So I'd really be looking for more like, 
5%, 10%, or 15%. I just try to find the predictable part of the move where I could take my piece you know, of the easy profits and then just leave it alone after that. Okay, yeah, now that makes sense. So um, here's something I want to ask you, and that is a lot of traders will say that you need to have an edge to succeed as a trader, right? So mm-hmm. how would you define your edge? Um, my edge, I think, is really just that I understand chart patterns, or at least I feel like I do. Um, and I, I have, you know, a, a basically I could call it a list of setups where if I, if I see a certain pattern forming, I immediately know what to do because I've seen that pattern time and time and time again. So as I've, as I've gone on, I guess my, my edge is experience, I guess you could say, um, that now I, I get a better idea of what to look for. Yeah. But I guess that also comes from the fact that I, I am able to recognize chart patterns and recognize you know, which ones are predictable and repeat. Yeah, so it's just sort of, again, really good at picking a sort of particular or specific chart patterns that you recognize. And, you know, time and time again, they've proved that this is generally what follows if you sort of see that setup come together. Right. Um. Yeah, right. So, as a day trader, I mean, you're, you're pretty well connected to the market while it's open, but I'm keen to know, how much time would you say you spend researching and studying the market after hours? Um, I, it, usually, it usually fluctuates a bit. Um, if, I, if I'm at a point where I'm, you know, I'm comfortable and I'm trading only setups that I'm familiar with and have been doing for a while... Um, really the only time I'm putting in aftermarket hours is just to put together a watch list for the following day. And that takes me maybe 15 minutes a night. Um, now if it's me trying to learn a new setup or trying to improve a new area of the market, uh, then the time goes up a bit because then I'm usually putting data in the spreadsheets or saving charts and studying charts or just doing a little bit of, you know, extra after hours work trying to, you know, familiar, familiarize myself with that next setup that I'm trying to move on to. Um, and then I'd say, you know, it's more like an hour or two hours a day after market. Okay, cool. Um, now, now here's one thing I wanted, wanted to speak to you about, and I hope it's not too much of a touchy subject, but um, October last year, you took a, a whopping big loss on, um, oh, yeah. I think it was about 270000 on... Um, mm-hmm. uh, 290000 290, yeah. 290000 okay. Um trading like um, when the bowler stocks were really hot and they were all sort of surging. Um, but I mean, in relation to your trading capital, it wasn't crippling, but nobody could say that isn't a huge amount of money to lose. So I wanted to hit you up about it because there's definitely lessons in there for everyone. So oh, for sure, yeah. tell us what went wrong and um, what were the tough lessons that you, you walked away from this one with? Uh, well, with what went wrong, it was... It was really a, a, almost a year-long problem that just had taken that long to surface, and it was that I was refusing to cut losses. Uh, I had transitioned over into these NASDAQ stocks, and my I, I think it was, I guess, May of 2014 that I transitioned over. So I'd been trading them for about five months at this point. And I'd always kind of had the attitude with these that they're a lot choppier and there's a lot more fake-outs, and I just, you know, they, they were a little trickier than the OTCs. And... A habit that I had gotten into, uh, mainly short selling these big runners, 
was if I mistimed my entry, I was just going to hold and, you know, let it squeeze me and look to, look to add higher. And, you know, that, that would be fine. And so I started doing this in May or June, I think. And every now and then I'd get stuck in a stubborn trade and then it would squeeze me and I'd be down, you know, $10,000 or $20,000. But it always ended where it would come back in my favor and I would take off for either a small gain or a small loss or a break even. And basically just, it worked out okay every single time. And so by the time Lake came around, I, I took my entry in Lake on the short side and I think it was probably about 990 or so that I entered my short at. And I had a small gain on it. Some kind of press release came out midday and spiked the stock a bit. And I was pissed that I couldn't cover my position for a gain. Like I, I had you know, maybe a $3,000 gain on it and I watched that disappear and I was ticked off. So I just figured, okay, screw it. I'm going to hold it till it comes back down and fades again. And then it just started, it started breaking out. It started going to new highs. And because I had conditioned myself with that bad habit of not cutting losses, yeah, I was, I was getting squeezed and I was really uncomfortable and I was down on realized a pretty ugly amount of money. But I just kind of figured it would end like every other one where I would either add higher and get my average up or it would just, you know, maybe squeeze for a day and fade back off and I'd be fine. Um, but this one, it didn't work like that. And I, I made the mistake of adding too early to my position and then getting stubborn on my ads as well. And really, it was just a snowball effect where I took a bad situation and I kept making it worse and worse and worse because I just, I couldn't let go of my short bias and I couldn't admit that I was wrong and take, you know, what would have been a very manageable loss. And instead, before I knew it, I was down this huge sum of money and uh, it really was mentally tough to deal with in the trade and then the days following. So what were some of the lessons that you, you took away from that? Like, was there something you made like a, a mental note as, of like, I will never do this again sort of thing? Yeah, it, yeah, it taught me that I had to cut losses. And um, the big one, the big one for that one was that it um, is that I held through as it was breaking out to new all-time highs, um, or I guess all-time in the sense of since it had started trading with volume when all the Ebola news had started coming out. I kind of, I kind of looked at that as like the period of the pump, I guess you would put it. Okay. And and so uh, you know the, the high it had gotten to. Um, in the previous three, four, or five days, or whatever, um, when I was first starting to short it, was somewhere in the ten dollar range. And so once it started to break past that, I should have just been done and should have been out and respected that it could go higher. Um, so that was that was my lesson, my my never again lesson is I'm never going to let myself go on all these rides like I did over the summer where I'm just holding through big unrealized losses and trusting that it will come back down and everything will be okay. Um, it, it taught, it, you know, it retaught me that I have to cut losses and I have to respect the trend. Yeah. Yeah. Good one. So, um, you actually did a really awesome, uh, write up about that on your blog. So I'll make sure that I, um, put a link to that in the show notes. For sure. Yeah. That, I know that's a lot more detailed than I can get into, uh, over this yeah yeah so uh listeners definitely make sure you you check that one out uh awesome writer so let's get a little bit more um advice for sort of um traders because i know you you did a presentation um towards the end of last year in las vegas um and you spoke a lot about um sort of advice for entry-level traders um and sort of on the subject so 
at the presentation, you gave out um, five factors that you sort of linked very closely to your success. So um, I know we don't have, you know, an hour, two hours to go through them in depth, but would you be able to briefly run us through each one of those five factors and um, yeah. why it's so important to get each one right? For sure, yeah. Um, the first factor was have the right brokers. And I think that is one of the most key things. Um, you, need, you need the right broker for your trading strategy. You need to know what your broker's strengths and weaknesses are. Um, just an example of that. I've, I've been talking to a trader recently. I, I was talking earlier here about how buying new promotions on the OTC market was a huge strategy of mine early on building my account. And for that, you needed a broker that would get you good OTC executions. And the best broker for that was SpeedTrader at the time. And I think they probably still are now. And so I, I made sure that I had SpeedTrader because I wanted, you know, if I wanted to buy promotions, I needed to have the best tool for it. And it, it drives me crazy because some traders, like I remember talking to a trader who was trying to buy OTC stocks with a broker where it would take him five minutes to get an execution on one of his orders. And I was saying to him, like, you know, even... You know, even if you have a stop loss level in mind with your position here, if you are trying to get out of this trade when things are going bad, like if you know if your support level breaks down and you want to sell, you're not going to get that fill. Like you, you might only want to risk you know two cents a share, but you probably will wind up filling at the bottom of the panic because your broker just is not equipped to sell you um, in a timely manner. So it's it's really just the broker is your main tool for executing your trades. So you need to make sure that you're using one that you know fits what you need. Um, the second key to success was focus only on liquid and volatile stocks. And I mean, I guess that's not for everybody because I do know some traders who are successful trading lower flow plays or lower volume plays. But for me, it was very important for anything I trade to be liquid and volatile because I, I need the volatility um, in order to actually make meaningful returns. And then as far as liquidity goes or good volume, um, I just, I found that I'm far more comfortable and it's far easier to trade size and uh, far easier to get fills on your entries and exits. Uh, if the trade is you know, going for you or against you. Awesome. So, so what's number three there? Number three was identify and focus on your niche. And what I mean by that is my, my big turning point, I think, as a trader is when I cut down the number of setups I was trying to trade. I went from trying to do everything to just trading those two OTC setups that I was comfortable with. And I poured all of my focus and all of my attention into those. I stopped trying to follow guru alerts. I stopped, you know, doing random earnings winning plays. I was just looking at the OTCs and just looking at the new promotions and at the breakouts. And that focus on what I knew that I was comfortable with, what I knew I, what I was good at, um, that really made a meaningful difference to my accounts because I started to see far more consistent results. That's how I built back to break even. That's how I started to you know, build up my account a little bit and be profitable. And then once you feel like you've really mastered those and understand those, you can always branch out from there. But when you're first getting started and you're first figuring out who you are as a trader, uh, don't try to do too much. It's okay if you miss, you know, this 
huge short sale that everybody else is beating their chest about and saying, oh yeah, I killed it. If you're not, if you're not a short seller, um, you know, you're always going to miss stuff in the market, no matter who you are, no matter what setups you like, you're going to miss things and that's fine. Um, what you need to do though, is you need to figure out where you succeed and just focus there and make sure that those are the ones that you profit on. All right. And, uh, number four, what have you got there? Uh, number four was don't believe the hype trade charts and price action only. And that one was, uh, you know, that, that's also been pretty key to my success because I, I see, a, especially now with these listed stocks, I think, you know, everybody kind of knows, okay, OTC stocks are usually garbage. Um, but with listed stocks, the fact that they're on major exchanges, I think everybody kind of gives them a little bit added of a degree of legitimacy. And we'll just assume like, oh, well, this company put out news. So that's, that's got to be great for it. That, that means it's going to go up. And yeah, maybe it goes up for a little bit. But when that chart momentum turns and it starts coming back down, far too many people just hold and hope and say and still think, oh, well, that news means that it's got to go up. It's got to keep going. And uh, I mean, that, that really goes for both sides of the play, because also, I mean, that's exactly what I did with the lake trade was I ignored what the chart was telling me. I ignored stock was breaking out. I just was so latched onto my short bias um, because I thought that the company was garbage. So whether, you know, whether it's a good bias towards the company or a bad bias towards the company, it really doesn't matter. All that matters is what the market is telling you. And that's best, that's best deciphered through charts. Absolutely. No, I completely agree with that one. So um, fifth and final, um, what's that one there? That's cut losses intelligently. Um, and I, I kind of specify there, not necessarily quickly. And it's really funny because I, I did talk about this in Vegas, uh, and this was probably a week before my lake loss happened. And uh, you know, looking back on it now, I, I still I still agree with that to a degree. Um, you should cut losses intelligently. Um, for me, an intelligent loss cut on uh, lake would have been when it was breaking new all time highs. Uh, that would have been the intelligent move because I would have respected that it was a breakout. Um, now, what I think I meant more by that with cut losses intelligently, not necessarily quickly, is a lot of people will have preconceived numbers in their mind. Like, I don't want to lose more than 1% per trade or I don't want to lose more than 3% per trade. And, uh, you know, if, the, if their stop loss gets hit, they're out. And what I mean when I say cut losses intelligently is don't don't base it off of some preconceived number necessarily, whether that's a dollar amount or a percentage figure. I like to base it off of the chart. So basically, if there's if there's a you know a huge support level on a stock that's five percent away from my entry, I don't want to be cutting my loss at two percent when really the chart never broke down and there was no real reason to get out other than I had hit some preconceived number in my head. I want to be trading off of the action and off of the chart in front of me. Okay, so you can still predetermine where your stop's going to be when you enter a trade, right? So by looking at the chart and the price action previous to where you enter, um, what you're saying is you can still put your um, your stop loss on as you enter the trade, um, but don't have like a hard and fast rule like it's going to be this far behind my entry. Right, exactly. Um, I mean... This, this is how I think about risk. So let's say you've got a stock that has a huge support level at $1 per share. 
um, if, if I mean, if I enter that stock at a dollar ten, that means I'm risking ten cents a share or ten percent. Now that's you know ten percent is a pretty big percentage loss to take. So I would figure out my risk based off of how much size am I going to take. So if I'm taking that dollar ten entry, risking off of one dollar, and that's ten percent. I probably don't want to be playing large size. I probably don't want to be all in. I'd probably play smaller size because I'm using a wider stop loss. Um, but if I if I get in at a dollar oh three and I'm only risking three cents a share or three percent, then maybe I'm willing to size up a little bit more. So I, I think in terms of I guess dollar risk and what it means to my account. Um, but I, I would use the same stop in both situations. Just a question of how much would I size in based off of how far away from that level am I. Exactly. Yeah, no, that makes sense. So, um, all right, Tim, well, this sort of brings us close to the end of the interview and it's, it's been really good. So thanks so much for, for coming on. Absolutely. Yeah. But, um, let's take it to the closing bill. So just a few questions that we asked all the guests. Um, yeah. and the first one would be, what's the best piece of advice you've ever received? Um, I mean, I'm not sure it was directed personally at me, but the best I've seen is, uh, from Nate or Investors Live and uh, his little phrase, trade to the ticker, not the company. And uh, that goes along with what I was talking about earlier, where you, w- I want my trading decisions to be based off of what the chart is telling me, what the price action is telling me, not some kind of preconceived notions about how good or bad the company is based off of news or fundamentals or whatever other factors. Yeah, cool. I like that. I really like that one. So, um, what is the number one trading resource you couldn't live without today? I think it would have to be uh, market scanners. For me right now, I'm using stocks to trade, but I've also used Equity Feed or Interactive Brokers, uh, the scanner on their platform. Um, but I think I think a market scanner is really key to what I do now because that's just how I find my place. Um, I, I will punch in you know, my criteria of what I'm looking for. Usually, usually it's just top percent gainers that have certain volume requirements. I look for the ones that have traded, I'd say at least probably $5 million on the day uh, for listed stocks. And um, I mean, half of these I'd probably never even know about if I wasn't using my scanner at the end of the day and running through the list of these plays and then pulling up charts based off of what it finds. Yeah, cool. So that's how you create your watch list for the following day, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's almost entirely scanner-based. Awesome. So I know you're not a, a huge reader on books and that sort of thing, but is there any one book you believe is a must-read for any trader just starting out? Uh, no, there really isn't because I, I really haven't read many trading books. Um, actually, I don't think I've really read any. So, <laughs> um, you know, one thing, one thing I do want to check out this year um, as I you know, continue trying to improve a little bit, uh, I want to I get into some trading psychology books. So I think I think that's the most useful area if uh, you're going to read books on trading is don't don't worry so much about a book that's trying to give you the holy grail of all trading systems, but maybe worry more about you know the books that will help you you know be psychologically right while you trade and maybe learn to control those emotions better or, you know stuff that is a little more practical and useful. Okay, cool. That's probably a, a really good answer, um, better than a specific book. So yeah, thank you for that. Um, knowing everything you do now, is there anything you would have done differently come day one again? Oh, definitely. Yeah. Um, I mean, I would have, I would have absolutely dove in 
without trying to follow alerts. That's the first thing. I would have never wasted my time trying to follow trade alerts or mimic people's trades. I would have focused a lot more just on what I was doing and tried to, you know, I, I think that's how you build confidence as a trader is you make your own trades, you make your own mistakes. Yeah, you're going to take losses along the way, but then you learn from those losses. So I wish I had kind of gotten started with that a little bit sooner with the, uh, you know, being a little bit more self-reflective and saying, okay, well, I just lost on this setup. Why did I lose? What did I do wrong? Um, or what did I do right? You know, if I was just cutting a loss on a setup that just didn't work. Um, but the other thing is I wish I had been a lot more mindful about volume and liquidity because one of my earliest losses that I can remember, like my first big loss I took was because I was trying to trade a very thinly traded stock uh, with the same rules that I had been applying to some stocks that traded with more volume. And I didn't really understand the difference. And I took a huge loss as a result because the bottom dropped out of this one so much quicker than it did on any of the others because there just wasn't the volume there to support it. Okay. Awesome points. That's, that's, that's really good. So um, that brings us to the end of the interview, Tim. So thanks so much for coming on. Um, Absolutely, yeah. It's, it's been awesome. So before we uh, wrap things up, do you just want to share with the listeners where they can uh, find out more about you and connect? Oh, sure, yeah. Uh, well, my blog that we mentioned earlier is tradethetickerblogspot.com and I've put a lot of posts on there that you know, I try to gear towards beginners and helping people along and get started. And then also I have a Twitter. I believe it's at CroyRunner89. Um, I believe I have the 89 in there. Yeah, I do. At Crowdrunner89 is my Twitter. So I'm on there. I'm somewhat active here and there. Um, well, yeah, those are those are the best two places to look for me. Okay, awesome. And uh, all the links and every everything mentioned in the show um, will be on the show notes at chatwithtraders.com. So definitely make sure you check out uh, Tim's blog. There's some awesome posts on there. And, um, yeah, plenty to, plenty to learn. So... Uh, thanks a lot, Tim, and uh, we'll speak soon. All right, sounds good. Thank you. Okay, now that brings us to the end of this week's episode. So I hope you guys found some value inside of that interview. Uh, Tim's a very switched-on guy, as you can tell, and um, doing a great job, doing a very, very great job. So just a quick reminder, the Lucha Method giveaway is wrapping up this weekend on Sunday at 7 p.m. EST. So, guys, make sure you're in that. It's a massive prize. Um, just go to chatwithtraders.com forward slash giveaway. All the details are there. All you've got to do is just answer a very, very simple multi-choice question and put in your email address, and that's it. You're in. Um, if you want to increase your chances of winning, you'll be given a unique URL. Take that URL and just sort of share it around. Anyone who enters through that URL, you score another 10 entries. So very easy to dramatically increase your chances of winning too. All right. Well, I look forward to speaking with some of you throughout the week and um, new episode coming same time next week. Take care. You've come to the end of this episode of Chat with Traders, but don't worry, more great episodes are on the way. To stay updated with each great new episode, be sure to subscribe to the podcast in iTunes and we'd love it if you leave us a rating and review. We'll see you next time on Chat with Traders.